Good morning, everyone. Why don't we go ahead and begin our time today by going to the Lord in prayer. Uh, We're going to, then we will start our class time together. So let's pray as we get started. God, thank you for this morning together as your church. Thank you that we can come and uh, we can learn about what you've said concerning uh, concerning our interactions with the uh, governing authorities, those that you have in your sovereign will placed over us and uh, those who are of like substance to us. They are human beings just like us. They are fallen and frail, uh, sinful, uh, often very much so, and yet those who are made in your image and those who are in need of your grace and your mercy, those who are in need of your help, and those who at the same time you use to bring about your purposes in the world. And you even uh, do so so that you might work good in our lives as Christians and so that you might build up your church uh, through the instrumentality not only of the things that directly go on in our lives, but everything that takes place in the world is under your sovereign hand and you work all things after the counsel of your will. And so God, we place our confidence in you and we are grateful that we know that you're working behind the scenes in all things. And yet you have revealed to us that you want us to think certain ways about things. And we pray that you would help us to do that. We pray for wisdom. uh, We pray for great understanding and that you would help us to apply your truth with faithfulness as we consider these things this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This morning, I want to read one passage as we begin our time to as we think about the Christian and politics And this is not directly about politics per se, but hopefully it will give us uh, at least one of the factors to consider as we think about how we are to be engaged in in, in this particular area of life. Hebrews 13, 14. Hebrews 13, 14. The author says, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. The author of Hebrews acknowledges and even reminds his readers that whatever things that we might gain or be tempted to cling to uh, in an inappropriate or inordinate way, whatever might keep us from facing the kinds of persecution or reproach uh, or practicing the faithfulness which would bring that about, we are to remember that Uh, We're not going to have anything, no matter what we do, that is going to be a, quote, lasting city, but we're seeking something that is coming in the future. Uh, At the end of the day, that is what we are looking for. That's what we're looking toward. We're looking for the time when God makes all things new, when his kingdom is fulfilled as it should be, and when things are no longer, uh, when we're no longer dealing with the problems and the difficulties of the life that we are now in. Uh, The only thing is that we are now living in a world where there are problems, there are difficulties, there are real issues, and we are not yet in that time to come. And the question is, how do we as Christians then interact with this world? And in particular, how do we interact with government? And this morning, what I want to think about is how we, uh, how we engage in the idea of influencing what the government is like, including especially who is in charge of the government. How do we think about influencing who the government is made up of and what it does? What laws does it pass? What people are judging those laws? Who are the people who are in those offices, including perhaps some Christians? Uh, How do we think about these things? So I wanna think this morning about the Christian and politics. And I wanna do so in light of the things that we have talked about previously and try to apply many of those principles and then other biblical principles that may be brought out uh, to this idea of getting involved in the political sphere. And we'll talk about that from everything, uh, starting with actually being in the government and trying to get there, all the way to how we think about it if we have absolutely no interest in ever being part of that or ever talking about it to other people, and yet we might have some interest in actually kind of following what's going on. So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of political involvement and engagement, hopefully there will be something for you to consider here this morning. Uh, Just as a background for for what we'll talk about this morning, I want to consider our unique, uh, relatively unique time in history. In biblical times, how much influence would um, maybe like the average person have in in um, influencing the political environment. How much influence would someone have? 
Sure, Roman times, yeah. None? Okay, yes. What, how, did their, uh, how did their supreme leader come to power? Well, it certainly wasn't by popular vote. There was none of that. It wasn't by uh, some type of electoral college or any such thing. This was not really something that the average person had much, if any, say in at all. Not to mention that at various points, maybe even any given point, the Roman Empire would have been made up of uh, a large portion of slaves, maybe even a third at certain times. And those people definitely would not have had any opportunity to influence through politics the people that were above them. Um, so this has really historically been kind of the prerogative of the few, uh, of the elite, of the powerful. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, that's the case now. That's all that really matters. And the people, the common people don't really have any influence. Um, I might take some issue with that because we do still vote for things. But uh, regardless of exactly where you fall there, the point is that we, most people think that we have some degree of influence uh, upon who actually is placed into power. And I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to think. So we, we now, rather than have someone who simply takes power and holds it for as long as they possibly can, or someone who is placed into power by virtue of their birthright, of their descent from the ruler, and then maybe by appointment by that person, um, instead of that, what we have now, at least in our own day, is something that very much involves the populace. It really involves people to a great degree. Um, everyone of a certain age, if they've not committed certain crimes, is eligible to vote. And they are told over and over again that they should do so. Not only that they should do so, but they should have an informed vote. They should be engaged. They should care. This should be very important to them. Um, so we have voting for almost every political office. Uh, we also have the internet, which makes it very easy for you to say things that can get read or heard by other people. Um, and not only that, it's not just possible for people to hear what you have to say, it's encouraged. You should be engaged. You should be concerned. You should care. Uh, you're almost compelled to not only observe, but even to say something, to speak up. Uh, we've heard in recent days that silent, to be silent is to be complicit against certain things that are going on in the culture. You have to say something. And of course, then we take the Christian side of things and how Christians should care about people. According to the Bible, they should love their neighbors. And people will use that to compel Christians to then have a concern and an opinion about everything that has to do politically with anything that might touch on the subject of loving your neighbor or of improving your neighbor's life in some way or promoting what is sometimes referred to as human flourishing. Which is simply to say that there's a whole lot of pressure now, not only through just the opportunity to do what you might be interested in anyway, but also from people actually trying to persuade you to be very involved in the political sphere. So there's opportunity and then there's influence. This then is a, a different kind of time, and we need to recognize that some of these pressures may not have been there previously, and just because we have the opportunity or even the pressure to do certain things doesn't mean that it necessarily is the wisest way to live. Uh, more on that later on. Um, when it comes to uh, another background issue here, we want to think about the idea of mandates, of mandates, namely that there is no direct biblical mandate to be politically involved. Uh, there also is no direct biblical mandate not to be politically involved. So what we're dealing with is a matter of applying principles with wisdom to our own particular circumstances and bringing all that the scripture has to say about this to bear. And that's what I want to help us to do this morning. Um, there are commands about how to relate to the government. There are commands about how we should relate to other people. There are commands about what our heart attitude should be. There are commands about prioritizing certain things, about, uh, about not loving the world, about, um, uh, about prioritizing heavenly treasure over earthly treasure and things like that. And we're going to talk about that some as well. But there is no mandate one way or another for political involvement for any particular individual person. Now, of course, if you're in a government office, there are certain ways that you're supposed to carry that out. There are not only models of that in scripture, but there are also biblical principles for the way that people are commanded to use authority to serve others, uh, for people to serve people who are under their, under their authority. Um, they are to treat people with respect there to remember that they have an authority over them, things like that that we covered uh, a few, well, I guess a few months ago now under the idea of what rulers should be like. 
But there's no instruction that you must or must not actually get involved in the whole system directly. So we have to think about what we are supposed to do and how the biblical principle applies. Our biblical principle, principles, excuse me, apply. So I want to give you some considerations for doing that. Any questions or comments so far before we jump into thinking about that on the different levels of what you might be of, uh, of where you might consider getting engaged in politics as a Christian? Any questions, comments so far? No. Okay, great. So um, I want to think, first of all, about some considerations for political engagement. And what I mean by this is things like posting, writing, speaking, canvassing, uh, maybe even campaigning, and so on. And I say posting because that's probably the place where uh, many of you, if you're going to be involved in something of a formal way beyond conversations amongst friends and family, that it might be that you say something on social media or you write something online, something like that. Um, or you make a comment on something that someone else has said and you share your opinion or you try to persuade someone in those terms. But whatever it is, posting, writing, speaking, canvassing, anything that you do from political engagement, what are some of the considerations? And uh, if we think about this, then it seems to me that the first consideration ought to be the gospel itself, the gospel. Um, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, excuse me, um, no, just right from the beginning of the chapter, actually. You want to read this, the first four verses. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes through a number of passages about people who saw the risen Christ. He's trying to talk especially about the resurrection. Um, when we are engaged in anything in life, whether it is politics or any other sphere, we have to put the gospel at the forefront of what we're thinking about. Now, a few considerations with that is, um, uh, well, especially is the idea of gospel clarity. What brings gospel clarity? And will people understand as you are doing political engagement, whether you're writing, whether you're talking, whether you are campaigning, whether you're doing anything, will they understand through what you say and what you do and that that the gospel is actually more important than anything else? Are they going to get that message from you? And that may be because it's what you talk about the most. It may be because you qualify everything you say with, well, this is not as important as the gospel, but it does matter. Uh, do they get this through you actually talking only in moral terms about what people are doing right and wrong and then getting confused because all you talk about is that? Or are you very clear that people can be saved from the sins that you're concerned about? When you talk about politics and you talk about all the things that are going wrong in the country and all the things that are going wrong in the world and all these wrong standards and corrupt judges and corrupt legislators and corrupt executive people and you talk about all those things, do, they get the, do, they, do people understand that you're not just concerned about whether people are following the rules or not, following the laws, but that you understand there's a place for people to repent and to believe the gospel and that that matters more than anything? Um, are they, do they understand that you would rather people come to faith in Christ than to come to your political persuasions and your governmental persuasions? You say, well, that's exactly the same thing. And I might say you really need to be careful that it actually is. Make sure that you are clear with the gospel. Um, think about another principle with this, which is um, one of the instructions in Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians 6 about the way that we relate to unbelievers, the way that we relate to unbelievers. And it says this starting in verse 14, um, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? For what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, 
Uh, and then he cites an Old Testament passage about this. He, we are not to be, he says, bound together with unbelievers. Now, Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 5, for example, that there are going to be times when we are with unbelievers. We interact with unbelievers. We work for them. Uh, we work with them. They work for us. We relate to them. We're family members with them. You just, when you live in this world, you're going to be involved with unbelievers. Sometimes you're going to be involved in joint, joint efforts with them. You might work in a group with them. Uh, at work. You might be part of a neighborhood association with them. You might be working to, you know, a couple weeks ago, maybe working together with an unbeliever to scoop ice off the road. And they're doing it for their reason. And you're doing it because you're trying to serve other people because you're driven by wanting uh, to have a Christian testimony and doing what's right because of what God has done for you, rather than maybe just some conscience thing or feeling good about it. Uh, whatever the reason might be, we work together with unbelievers all the time in various ways. So this passage isn't telling us that we can never work together at all in any way for any purpose with unbelievers. But there is a warning here about being bound together with them. And you need to think as you are working for political influence of any kind, is my working together with unbelieving people for the purposes that I'm going for, is that partnering me with them and bounding, uh, binding me together with them in a way that crosses the line, in a way that muddies the gospel, where we really don't think that we actually believe different things about anything that matters or that the things that are different between the gospel and whatever they believe is actually secondary to the purpose of doing good in the world or getting our political cause passed. And you might not even say that explicitly, it just might functionally become that what really matters shifts from the gospel that you don't agree on toward that purpose and that cause that might flow for you out of scripture, but it actually then becomes the main thing that overrides the gospel. Not only that, but when you start to work together with people and you want them to be on the same team, you might be tempted to hold back and to shrink away from saying something clearly that they disagree with, or maybe in the case of somebody who would um, have a different view on the gospel, you might be very hesitant to say that you don't think they're a Christian because you fear that you're no longer gonna be able to work together on the same cause anymore. So engagement with people who are maybe going for the same causes, maybe they have the same view as you on economics or on taxes or on abortion or on certain moral standards that the government should promote or enforce. And you muddy the gospel in the process because the gospel is not first and foremost when you think about your interactions with them. Um, one more thing would be simply this, if you, have a, um, if you have a platform of some kind that you're supporting or a candidate or a party that you are affirming and you're saying, I'm part of this, I support this platform as a unit, I support this party as a unit, I support this candidate, can you do that while still making clear that you hold to the gospel first and foremost? Uh, can you articulate the gospel while saying, I think this is the best option that we have. I may not agree with everything here, but I think this is better than the other, or I can, but this is what the gospel actually says, and they might not all be about that, but I do think that overall, this is the better way to go. Things like that. Can you actually still be clear on the gospel and not let that get swallowed up in, well, this is just kind of part of how I want life to be. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of the same as these other people who don't hold to the gospel. So all that to say that you need to be very clear in the gospel and that you need to not just be clear when you're speaking it to individual people, but just recognize what message that you are communicating when you work together with certain people or when you promote certain things, when you partner with certain people, make sure that you are very, very clear on what matters most and on what the nature of the gospel actually is, that you're clear on that dividing line of who actually is right with God and who is not, and that you don't waffle on that or waver on that just because you wanna find favor in the sight of people who you might find common cause with if you can kind of just you know, back off on those distinctives a little bit. So the gospel is, of course, the first consideration for political engagement. Questions, comments, passages that come to mind, anything that you want to, uh, anything you want to say at the moment? Yes, Kyle. Yeah, okay, great example. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Al, maybe Al Moore. 
Yeah, it is a high bar, isn't it? Scripture sets that for us, I think. Uh, and, but, it, but it is good to recognize. It's a challenge. It's something we should aspire to. Yeah. There's lots of reasons why we might not want to be so clear on it. Uh, and that's, that's, of course, true in everyday life as well, not just the political sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it may not be the most prominent in terms of time spent talking about it. Um, it, it may not be what you hear from them the most. Um, I just think this should be a consideration for how, how am I articulating things? What am I trying to, if there's a morality here, uh, am I making efforts to make sure that people understand where I have opportunity, that, this is, that, that I want more than just morality, I want more than just this. Or is that stuff going to drown out the gospel message? Will I bring confusion? Uh, am I going to misrepresent this thing? Will we just, my main concern is just that everybody, you know, acts in a moral way. Or am I more concerned about this? Because you're right, yeah, there are, the, the main thing that someone might talk about in the sense of quantity, or maybe even what gets noticed is not always necessarily going to be the gospel, but you should have that in your mind. I want, this is what I want people to understand. And I, and I hope that people will, talk to me about this. I hope I won't give the wrong impression and so on. Um, so yeah, there's, there's going to be people where it is their job uh, to actually make this the main thing that they talk about. But, but I think as opposed to that, and maybe in some, in some um, realms of employment, like what you're talking about and what it sounds like that uh, is yours, is that you're just, you're looking maybe for opportunities, even though it's not the thing that you talk about every hour of every day. Yeah, no, Nebraska, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and these are both guys that are, uh, I think, uh, confessionally Christian. Like Sass is a Reformed guy, I think, and then uh, Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. But he's he's a lot. He's very politically engaged. Um, talks about a lot of things going on in the world in that sense. So yeah, yeah, good. What else? Yeah, Jeremiah. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's the goal. Yeah, but not just on a personal level for you, that it's not just you. You know, that, but that the message that matters, mo- what you want most for other people is for them to believe the gospel. So it's not just that I want the world to get fixed or be a better place. I don't just want uh, the horror of abortion to come to an end. I want the gospel to be believed by every person. That's what I want. Now, I can want those other things as an outflow of that because uh, Christian living then means many other things. I can want the uh, reduction of harm done to other people I can want the uh, promotion of generally like the kinds of things that scripture lays out as making for um, better lives in some ways for people. Um, the things that we would do if we, had, if we had goodwill for our neighbor, we would prefer that their house stayed standing rather than burning down. You know, those kinds of, like that, nobody would probably argue with that. No one would say that's irrelevant. Uh, so those kinds of things that government exists to do and that uh, has, kind of has the power to do in certain unique ways. So we, sh- we should want that, but that all comes behind. Like what we want most is people believing the gospel. And that, that, that is just the through line that w- determines how we interact with all of these things. It should just be in the front of our mind all the time. Not just in politics, but really anything. Yeah. Yeah, good. What else? Okay, um, let's then think about another consideration, 
which would be the idea of heavenly thinking versus earthly thinking. Heavenly thinking versus earthly thinking. Can you uh, come up with any texts from the Bible that talk about this distinction just off the top of your head? Heavenly thinking or mindedness versus earthly mindedness. Yes, Colossians 3. What does it say? Set your mind on things above, right? You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, what is that? First few verses, right? So Colossians 3, yes, set your mind on things above. Okay, what else? Yes, yeah, so the, the, uh, the transience of human rulers and the weakness of them versus the eternality and the, the omnipotence of God. So that should influence, uh, as you said, the trust. Where do, we, where do we place our trust for permanent change and permanent stability? It, it cannot be in human rulers who will disappear, who will go away. Good, Isaiah 40. What else? Matthew 6, yes, Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven, right? And he gives some reasons for that. You know, that's going to be where your attention is directed and so on. Uh, This is going to be something that not only in the realm of political engagement, but also in following politics, it is very easy. I'll just mention it while I'm here to, um, to not avoid or to make sure I don't forget this, but... When, when we spend much of our mental energy and time thinking about, um, I wouldn't even say worrying about, although it does often go there, but when we are very much um, thinking about the things going on in this world, it's really easy for our heart to follow there, just functionally. That's the idea of Matthew 6. You put your treasure in heaven, what are you going to think about? You're going to think about he- your heavenly things. You put your treasure on earth, you're going to think about earthly things. So the more that you practice following earthly things, um, it's going to create a challenge that you are, you know, if, you, if it's optional for you to be following these things, just recognize that it's going to be pulling you in a certain way. Even if it's not optional, you have to say, well, this isn't optional, so I need to labor to make sure that I'm not getting just um, weighed down with only earthly things. But either way, uh, when we store up treasure in heaven, that helps to overcome that. What did Jesus say about his kingdom? My kingdom is not of this world, not of this world. Uh, That is not a statement that it will never be in this world. That's just a statement that it's of a different nature and a different type. He's going to bring his kingdom. There's no no, um, non-earthly culmination to that. But there is some distinction between the kingdoms of this world and then the kingdom of God. And we need to keep that in mind as well. Um, so these are statements that are, they don't forbid doing things on the earth. We need to make sure that we understand that. The, it's really easy to just say that, well, only things in heaven matter. And so we don't really fulfill any human responsibilities. That's probably overcooked. I think I saw an article this week actually about, uh, about that, the statement, you know, too earthly minded, uh, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good and how people will will make that claim that, well, people are too worried about heaven and they need to worry about earthly things. And it was kind of given some pushback like, hey, actually, you know, we probably are too earthly minded and it would do us some good to be more heavenly minded in general. Uh, but this doesn't forbid doing things on the earth. The scripture is full of instructions for us to be busy about the things that God says are the right things to do and about um, bringing about everything that God tells us to try to bring about and gospel proclamation, persuading people concerning Christ, doing good, doing good works. These are the kinds of things that we are instructed to do on the earth. So storing up treasure in heaven or thinking of things above does not mean that you just go into a dream about what heaven will be like 
all day long. What that means, of course, is that you are thinking about that and it influences the way that you act here and now. You know that Christ is going to come, so you trust when things don't go your way. You know that things will be made right, so you don't despair when the world is not as it should be. Um, you know that one day there will be a final judgment. So instead of just being worried about, well, people doing some moral things now uh, or about what the world looks like now, you are preparing people for that day. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we persuade men, we know the fear of the Lord, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's why we persuade people. That's why we try to convince them to believe the gospel because we have our mind fixed on that one day when Christ will judge every living person, the living and the dead. So heavenly thinking is going to drive us toward just, uh, just, it's just automatically, if we're doing this, if we're thinking about those realities, it's going to draw us towards certain practices or certain ways of carrying out other practices. Even the things that we do in this world that are very, in one sense, earthly, it's just gonna change the way that we do those. And it's going to influence that. Um, and, and I would say the same thing when, when it concerns political engagement. It's going to change the way that you go about that. So that's heavenly versus earthly thinking. Uh, let me talk about another one, which would be church unity and edification. Church unity and edification. There are sections on, uh, in scripture that, especially two prominent ones on how to, uh, how to practice the things that you have either convictions or freedoms about when other people disagree. And that's Romans 14 through the early verses of chapter 15, and then 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. And they both kind of come at that from different angles. But there are some principles that are throughout those kinds of things, which is, um, well, there are a few. One is, at the end of Romans 15 um, and 14 and 15, this section here, he says this in verses 5, 6, and 7. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. His instruction to accept one another goes back to the command in Romans 14, 1, which says, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Uh, he is referring to someone whose conscience is not uh, so fully uh, cleared of lingering concerns from his Old Testament days where he, uh, he's not ready to eat certain things that the Bible doesn't condemn for him to eat but he still kind of has this conviction. And what this passage is saying is, well, this person is weak in faith. They have not actually fully taken hold of the freedom to eat these things that the Bible allows them now to eat. But he says, accept him and don't pass judgment on him. Don't look down on him for that. Just because he does, isn't as free as the Bible makes it and as free as you, in this case, the Gentiles would have been. Um, so accept one another. This is not a statement that you ought to accept one another's sin. This is a statement that where there are differing con uh, convictions, in this case, personal practices where someone has something that they, they just feel compelled to do before the Lord, but it's not a biblical requirement that everybody has to follow, uh, then you should accept one another. And the whole theme throughout this is care for one another, seeking unity with one another, despite the fact that there are certain things that are different, different convictions about things, different uh, determinations about the way that someone should practice before the Lord. So in verse 22, for example, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. As long as the Bible doesn't condemn this and, and say that it's sin, then great. If you can have a clear conscience before God, and then, then you can do that. You can uh, practice that before the Lord. He says um, things like this in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And then he says, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. One more passage here in verse 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up 
of one another. I don't think that it would be too controversial of a statement to say that um, having a strong political opinion and voicing that with clarity and conviction can make it easier for there to be conflict between you and someone who disagrees with you on that. And the question becomes, how important is it for you not only to hold that conviction or that preference or that opinion, but how important is that for you to state that and the goal that you're trying to accomplish by stating that in comparison to the unity and the love that you have between you and your fellow believers in the church? How important is that? You say, well, we ought to be able to hold these differing opinions and then still overcome those things and still be united. Well, that's true. And that actually is one of the applications of this. You might have very different political persuasions or opinions about certain candidates, certain platforms, the best way to carry things out and so on. And certainly there are those in this room, there would be disagreements about, uh, about those kinds of things. But you also should consider when I make this statement, when I make this post, when I write this thing, when I talk about this, and when I do so with great confidence, uh, is that going to promote unity in the church? Or is that going to be something that I'm going to have to overcome and work to overcome? So before you make that statement, just think about this. Is this gonna be something that just adds a needless hardship toward what God tells us that we ought to have? Now, again, this is not a statement that you shouldn't have these opinions. It's not a statement that there is not a place to make them or to speak very strongly about them. Uh, it's not that you can't make an argument to one another, but you should really be wise and careful and you should gauge what impact is this going to have on Christ's church? Is this going to be a stumbling block for someone being able to relate to me in the way that God has said? Do I... Uh, am I willing to give up the liberty that I have to state such opinions, which are not unbiblical, for the sake of cultivating a relationship with the person who is a Christian as well? Am I willing to do this? Paul talks about that willingness to give up certain liberties in 1 Corinthians 9, and he says, it's not that it's wrong for me to eat certain things or do certain things, but when I'm with those who are under the law, I don't do them because my goal is gospel-oriented. I, I want to be willing to give up my freedoms where that has higher priorities in God's economy of gospel faith and then of the building up of the church. So just to clarify, I think that I should make, make sure you understand. I'll just repeat this. This is not to say that you cannot have or state opinions, preferences, convictions about things in the political sphere. There is a place for that, but you should consider how this affects the church. You should consider how it affects your relationships with one another. And if you say, well, I just say what I say and you know, well, I'll just deal with the consequences, then you really should consider uh, what, this, what this means for your relationships. Maybe you've never even thought about the fact that stating opinions like this would, uh, would cause that. And of course, behind that very often can be the idea that, well, you know, my opinion is right. So of course, why would anybody disagree with it in the first place? But church unity and edification, what brings unity in the church rather than needless division? Now I wanna ask, uh, have you ever seen this kind of thing, whether it's about politics or other opinions, divide Christians? Does that ever happen? Okay, examples? We're afraid to say, aren't we?
Yes, so yes, it's, I, I like the point there. Stated, the opinions are stated in such a way as that, of course, you agree with this. Of course, you agree. That, I think that is a particular danger where there is, um, well, really, in, in any um, part of our society right now where I think that, I think largely I would find agreement on this. This is maybe something of, a, of an opinion coming out now. So you're free to disagree with this, but uh, it seems to me that culturally speaking, uh, there is more and more that is taking place that where certain elements of culture are pushing so obviously away from biblical standards of morality that it is uh, very easy then to presume that there is an overlap between Christianity and uh, being in favor of certain people who oppose those cultural deviations from scriptural things and that there is an assumed alignment uh, where is simply stated, of course, I am in favor of this person or this movement or this platform. And I would think that it would be helpful for you to consider that it might not, that might not promote unity to just state that as if people will share your view and you don't even have to ask them about that. Uh, it, it definitely can cause, definitely can cause people to, um, yes, feel isolated, be isolated, uh, maybe even be afraid to disagree. Um, so just consider the, the impacts of making statements like that. Uh, certainly anything that you may think, yeah, you think this is a really bad idea, this is driven by this or that thing, but it does not come explicitly from the Bible. It is not a direct line from biblical principles and texts to the actual practice in culture. Be careful with that as well. Be careful about that. Good. Any other examples? How does uh, church unity Yeah, yeah, you know, so denominations are an interesting thing because there are, there's kind of two sides and maybe a spectrum in between. Um, on the one hand, I heard somebody talk about this a couple of years ago, and he was saying, you know, I, I like denominations because it's a sign that somewhere, sometimes, someone used to believe something. And <laughs> because you're willing to divide over something that was truth. So there's that kind of denomination. And then there's the other side, which is, well, we just got mad at each other and we split, or we split because of things that are not biblical. And that's, there's a, there's a long road of that kind of thing. That's, and it's not just denominationally either, is it? It's all kinds of, um, it could be churches, but it can be within churches. It can be churches that split. Um, you know, one of the things I was very grateful for over the past few years was how hard people worked in our own church to avoid um, splitting over COVID-related issues and things that were tied into that time. I was, I've just been very thankful for that. Um, but it can definitely happen. So unity in the church, this is not unity that overlooks sin. This is not unity that pretends like doctrine doesn't matter. This is unity recognizing that we are to be uh, on the same page about what the Bible says and teaches and what we're supposed to practice and about theology. And uh, we, I think, can say are you know pretty detailed in saying what theology matters and what degree of theology matters um we're not just gonna you know wishy-washy what's the unity you know let's just all agree on the same thing we just we're you know on the side of jesus and that's all that really matters and everything else is just up for grabs it's not like that but when it comes to things that are outside the bible we have to be very careful that we don't let those destroy the unity of the church. And uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, don't destroy him uh, for whom Christ died, the brother for whom Christ died. In that way, he was attacking, someone was harming the man's conscience, causing him to uh, sin against his own conscience. In this case, we wanna make sure that we don't destroy the church. 1 Corinthians 3 says, if you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you, the church, are. So be careful on this. Church unity and edification. Be sure that you're striving for that. Um, let me give you another consideration on political engagement, which would be character. Character. Um, do you have the ability to state controversial opinions without being pugnacious or obnoxious or abrasive? Can you actually do this in a godly way? Can you actually say things and be truthful? Can you be kind? Can you do all the things that the Bible says are the fruit of the Spirit while still 
holding to opinions where people are going to disagree with you? Uh, can you state things and be disagreed with and not be personally offended and take vengeance on them for that? Do you have the, the sort of um, thick skin but soft heart that it takes to engage with people on these matters? So do you have the character to do this? Do you have the kind of integrity of life where you're not going to bring the gospel under reproach as you do this? Uh, and again, I just say these things because I've, I've seen too many people uh, who are, whether it's pastors or it's uh, other people of Christian, uh, of Christian um, conviction, they are drawn into the controversies of things and they begin to just be very hostile toward people, hostile toward unbelievers, hostile toward people who disagree with them and they grow tired. They, they don't suffer long with people and they're not patient. And it isn't that they, that they shouldn't say someone is wrong or that sin is sin, but the way that they start to treat people, it's like they're go, you can watch them go off, off the edge and you need to have the character to do this. It's a, it's a very dangerous road to step into when you start talking about these things regularly. You have to make sure that you are watching yourself. Um, and then I would just mention one more thing with political engagement and consideration, and there are a lot of others that we'll talk about for following politics. Um, one of the other things though for engaging in politics is influence, or we might put this in terms of opportunity. Influence and opportunity. Uh, you should weigh your actual, the possibility that you might have some kind of influence on people. Like if you start uh, saying things, does anyone, is anyone going to listen? What kind, of, uh, what kind of influence do you have? What can you do and what can you not do? Do you actually have the ability to shift and to shape uh, a significant enough portion of people to where it makes a difference in say, who gets elected? Do you have that kind of push? Maybe if you do, then that might change your calculus a little bit. But if you don't, then think about why you're doing it. Are you doing this because you just wanna write about these things? You wanna get your thoughts out? Okay, that's fine. Maybe a journal would be a better way to do that than a blog or something like that. But uh, just think about how, how realistic it is for you to actually have the kind of influence that you want. Measure that, think about that. Um, you can't predict that necessarily. I mean, we never know what that will become. You can, you know, somebody could start writing a blog and then, then you know, on one day it goes viral because of something they wrote and then the next day they have tens of thousands of people reading it. You never know. But just really think about that at least. Like, am I going to be able to do this? Um, so one other thing that I might just add here that is under following politics that I did not, uh, did not put here on the outline, but that would just be, um, do you have the time to do this in light of your other responsibilities? Is this going to cause you to neglect other things that you actually are commanded to do by God? So just weigh that out as well. As with any practice, any decision, whether it's a hobby or anything else, we need to think about the time that it takes to do this. And we need to think about whether this is the best use of the time. Okay, um, we have just a couple minutes for any kind of other questions or discussions on these points. Um, unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to get to considerations for following politics this morning. But yes, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, everything's. Wait, you're right. Every, everything has been made political. Why do you think that is? Not just Patrick Benny, but why? Why is everything political now? Great. Just make sure you're abrasive and obnoxious as well in the process. Yeah, good. Yeah, so power has become a very big uh, player, if you will, in terms of the things that, yeah, as opposed to, say, uh, just absolute truth. Uh, and what is, what is the right thing to do for individual people? It is, uh, it is power, as, yes, in all kinds of ways. It just, it's so complex as far as the different angles and why people would be drawn to that versus people who would promote that, um, the reasons behind what they do. But yes, power is a, a, yeah, and so politics is a great way to exercise power, right? Yeah. Or at least it's a, a very uh, opportune way to do that. Yeah, Michael. Longing to belong, you said? Mm -hmm. 
uh, it gives you a, there are tribes that you can belong to. There are identities you can belong to, ways of thinking. Yeah, uh, certainly there's probably more opportunity than ever, not just in terms of the ability to vote, but maybe basic needs being met for many people. Um, politics is a little bit more of a recreational activity, can be something that we spend a little bit more time in. Uh, ease of access to information. You could listen to these things around the clock, watch them around the clock, uh, read them around the clock. There's no shortage of that. It's big business as well. There's all kinds of uh, economic drivers for why people would, would try to convince you to do this, whether it's cable news, whether it's uh, certain websites and news providers that want you to think that this is the most important election that there's ever been and that want you to think that, uh, wait, you're saying it's not? I don't, I don't know whether it is or not. Only the Lord knows that. But what do you, uh, they, they want you to care. They want you to click on their pages. They want you to follow these things. And they are very loud about trying to convince you to do that. Um, the people who want you to elect them are very concerned that you would do that, that you would be out, that you would be engaged. There are all kinds of motivating factors for this. Um, so just understand, it's, it, it's not the product of necessarily just one thing, but it is, I mean, everything has been made political. And we have to say, as Christians, is this the way that we want to live? Is this is this what we are going to, are we just going to go along and say, yes, we are going to do everything through political means. We're going to spend our time caring and worrying about this. Um, this is how we're going to influence people. Or do we step back and say, okay, regardless of what's going on around us, what does God want us to do? And then how do we step into a culture that is all about that and then try to live out faithfully what God has said? Um, we'll talk about this more next time um, as far as engagement, and we will think about some considerations for following politics, and hopefully, if we have time, maybe even considerations for running for office. I don't know if any of you have aspirations to that, but maybe some things to think about on actually getting involved and trying to be on the other side of that. Uh, we will plan to talk about voting as well, so just that is coming and applying biblical principles to that also. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you that you have uh, laid out for us in your word so many clear things about what to think. And then there are areas where you have not spoken to us directly. And we pray for wisdom to see how we might apply those biblical principles in these ways. We pray that we would be unrelentingly about the gospel, about the church, about one another, about caring for people in the world, about about uh, loving our neighbor as ourselves and that you would help us to know biblically what's required on that and you would help us to be, uh, that you help us to be faithful, to be selfless and to do everything in line with exactly what you have told us to do. We pray for grace to do that. We pray that our church would be built up and uh, your church in all the world would be exalting Jesus Christ through following after what your word says in these matters. And we pray in his name, amen.